Yo, this is Steve Bloom, the voice of Zeb in Star Wars Rebels. And you are listening to Star Wars Bookworms. Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. And then we got to Life Debt, and it's like, oh, all the issues that I had with the first book are even worse. Really? Yes. And uh, to me, the most interesting part, and I, I still, hands up, I think Aftermath, and I think Life Debt, fantastic stuff with the Imperials. That stuff is, is outstanding. Um, but everything else, uh, I, don't, I don't care about the ragtag group on this ship. And I don't, I don't feel like I have a reason to care. Uh, they're all melodramatic, cliched characters. And what I really want in Aftermath is Shattered Empire, basically, um, where I'm really more focused on... You're saying you need more Force Trees. I, I need more... I need more to care about, um, and I, I'm not liking Mon Mothma in the new uh, canon at all. In the you know after Return of the Jedi, and I'm not liking the fact that I'm not getting any of the main characters. And part of that is because they don't want to spoil anything for the episodes, which I get. But they're also not allowing the characters to do much. Um, so you haven't you haven't gotten attached to the crew. Sounds like no. I, I had haven't. that issue uh, with the first book. I read the first book and I was first aftermath, and I was just like, I don't really care about these people. I enjoyed the interludes. I thought they were very informative, and I was you know excited kind of for the the little Easter eggs they were dropping into those. Um, but mm-hmm. I, yeah. the story itself, I was just like, eh, you know, it was okay. But then life debt. I read Life Debt and loved it, actually. So I guess me and you were on yeah. opposite ends of the spectrum. But I thought the interludes got even better. I enjoyed the inclusion of, you know, Han and Chewie. Um, Leia got a little... Leia I could have done without whatever. But, you know, I thought, for the most part, I cared about these characters now. Um, and Mr. Bones is, like, one of my favorite things in the new canon. See, Mr. Bones is great. Um, and, and I think that the thing is, is one, there's just not a lot of focus. The novel is trying to do so many things. I don't think it ever gets to focus enough on what it should be doing because the empire story that they're telling, I feel like that's really should just be an entire series all on its own. And I feel like the, the rebellion, well, not really the rebellion, but the new Republic part really almost needs to be a story all on its own. So you can really do justice to every single part Real Talk with Matt Rushing on Star Wars Bookworms, episode 64. No, but yeah, so this is not our a, this is not our life debt review episode, as much as it might have sounded like that right at the top, but this is Star Wars Bookworms, episode 64, and I do have another guest host with me today. We've been kind of having some guest hosts, and we probably will have more, um, mainly for our comic reviews. So, unfortunately, Teresa was not able to join us again tonight. But I do have someone who is up to the task, Matt Rushing. Uh, he he hails from the 602 Club and is known for the Aggressive Negotiations podcast, among other things, I'm sure. But uh, welcome to the show, Matt. We've never had you on before. 
Well, thank you so much, Aaron. It's it's great to be here. Uh, it, it's funny uh, that the first time that we met was at Dragon Con in Atlanta, where neither of us live. Um, even though we've kind of interacted on on Twitter and whatnot throughout the years, uh, being Star Wars fans, and so yeah, it's great to be here. Um, you know, I love the show, and and it's it's really fun to be on a show that I've listened to for a while now, and. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know if I just turned off a bunch of people with my opinion about life, death. Yeah, like, I nope. think we did. I think we lost all of the Chuck Windig fans. Probably right at the top. No, I'll just I'm just gonna edit <laughs> most of that out, and I'll make it sound like you liked it. So you know, the magic of editing. That's gonna take some masterful editing, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but no, I I think Empire's End is one that I'm. It's funny because. Me and you, it seems like in my conversations I've had with you is we have a lot of similar tastes and interests when it comes to Star Wars. But this is something where we really differ. Life Debt, um, I loved. And uh, Empire's End is probably the book I'm looking forward to the most right now. So I think it might just be writing style, really, with Wendig. I think that so. We're, we're kind of, you know, he's not your cup of tea, and I actually really enjoy um, what he's doing. So, yeah, so we'll... We definitely won't have well, you on for our year, Life Debt review, though. I guess the other big one that's coming out that we really know about next year is is Thrawn. And so i uh, definitely very excited about that. And, uh, of course, it'll be great to read the, the novels that are coming out. That they're going to do along with Rogue One, which I'm very excited about. You know, we have the Jen Erso YA novel and the uh, the Bays and Chirrut book coming out by what I would like to consider my master, Greg Rucka, who can do no wrong in Star Wars writing uh, these days, I think. So I'm very excited about those. So yeah, I mean, Star Wars books, that's the one thing, uh, even back in the uh, the olden days, uh, <laughs> the Legends timeline, they were good books and they were bad books, you know, and, and fans loved to go back and forth about what they thought was good and what they thought was bad. And um, everybody has a different opinion and that's what makes it fun. So Yes, definitely. There's all types of books out there. Something for everyone. There's even people that liked uh, *Heir to the Jedi*. So really, have you met those people? <laughs> I have. I have. Uh, Teresa actually, when we did our *Heir to the Jedi* review, she really liked the book a lot. So it was it was good to it have was the tootle fruit, the wasn't ba- it? Yeah, it was good to have the balanced, uh, you know, opinions on it. Where I was one direction, she was another. But um, yeah, but this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show because you are, you know, you keep up with the books, you keep up with the comics. I think you do a better job than I do at it. Uh, actually, you know, I'm a little bit behind on some of the comic series, and as we're getting to the to the review of them is the first time I'm reading them. So we will be getting to a comic review uh, today. The reason I had you on uh, to talk about Star Wars Volume 2. But before we get there, I did want to mention a couple things. Uh, we have our book club going on right now, which um, at our book club, we are talking about the brand new Ahsoka novel that just came out. So I know you've read it. And I, think, I have. I think, I'm actually trying to reread it right now, um, getting ready to record a show on it. So yeah, I try to get as much Ahsoka in as possible. So yeah, we have that going on over there, and this is the this is the part where I try to guilt uh, my guest into going over to our book club. And if you haven't joined already, join it, and then comment on stuff because we need we need some people over there that have read the novels that have the the deep understanding of star wars and uh so we can get some really good conversations started over there 
Well, I have been a part of the group for a while now, and I will definitely go over there and comment on Ahsoka because, spoiler alert for everyone, I really liked the book. So. Well, cool. We have a we actually have in our forum over at Goodreads we have a spoiler thread where you can go in and talk all about anything about the book, even if you've already finished it, because there you know spoilers are allowed. So we welcome you, Matt to come over and jump into the conversation um, because it sounds like you have some good thoughts on the book. So we're going to do Ahsoka for uh, October and into November and then right up until Catalyst gets released and then we will be doing Catalyst in the book club which they just released an excerpt from Catalyst just today. So good timing for since we're recording an episode of Bookworms today. It actually worked out. They released a, a pretty good excerpt that gives us some insight into the relationship between Jin's father, Galen, and uh, Krennic, which it doesn't seem like, you know, in the in the trailer, we just saw the trailer that just came out recently, and if you're just going purely by the trailer and you don't know anything else about this movie or the backstory, it kind of looks like that is, you know, they're not really buddies in that trailer, you know, but in this book, it seems like there is some sort of a friendship um, we're going way back in time. I think they said this is actually set during the the Clone Wars era. At least, um, at least this excerpt is. Yeah, that's it's really interesting because the the place that this takes place is, it seems like on this strange planet that is very backwater, full of kind of like tribal type people. There is, um, I mean, <laughs> there's even a carriage with wooden wheels. Uh, that they're being pulled around in Galen, his wife, Lyra, and their daughter, uh, Jen, their baby daughter, Jen. And there's some sort of like prisoner transfer happening. And basically, Krennic comes to save them. Uh, and so it's it's really fascinating where this is taking place and what's happening. And they said that this is chapter five, an excerpt from chapter five of Catalyst. So very early in the book as well. And it's interesting because it feels like this is a good setup. Um, Now, it is interesting that um, there are some... He says at the end, Krennic says, pro-Republic legions. Uh, And so I'm wondering what that means because he also says something. uh, They're harmless, Orison, Galen said. Separatists or no. So it is during the Clone Wars, but there's this mention of pro-Republic, and I'm not sure what that means, and it must be the planet that they're on. So just fascinating stuff. There's a lot going on here, and it really, I think, to me, honestly, just whetted my appetite even more. Uh, you know, I think uh, Bria last episode was fangirl flailing all over the place about this book coming out, and I'm, I'm right there with her. Um, I'm a little less, I don't know, flail as much, but I'm really excited for it. <laughs> Yeah, um the other thing that kind of some I sometimes forget that the officers that we see in the empire many of them especially early on are people that used to, you know, they base the republic basically became the empire. So what who we saw as the good guys, many of them became the bad guys, which was something Yeah, like you Lauren. Right. And something that was even interesting to me that I didn't realize this was uh, canon until Star Wars posted like a fact about it, but Captain Panaka becomes a Grand Moff. 
Really? Had, I did not know that either. Had you heard that? Yeah. So no. somebody posted, wow. apparently uh, it was a Star Wars fact. They, they posted up and um, just this random fact that I was just like, wow, that, that just seems an interesting choice to make for a character who was very heroic in episode one. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And then not only was he a Grand Moff, but they even said that he worked, he was very friendly with Palpatine and actually worked pretty closely with Palpatine. Um, and so I, I guess was, that makes sense since they're both from Naboo and he's part of the Naboo security. And yeah, when you really start to think about the characters where they're from, that, that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. So it's just, it's kind of interesting to think like even in this excerpt that, you know, Krennic, the, you know, he's, he's helping Galen out. He's part of the Republic and, you know, but by the time uh, Rogue One comes around and the Empire has been established, he's, he's a bad guy. So a lot of, this happened to a lot of a lot of people where they're, I guess, I don't know. It's I, it, it's just very interesting to see them as having to make these choices. As do you stay with the the Republic, which became the Empire, um, even though it's starting to do these things that are are pretty bad? But it doesn't seem like well, Krennic really cares. He's more focused, I guess, on um, getting Galen and using his his genius and his expertise to help build the Death Star and not actually helping him because he's his friend. Oh, yeah. No, and I think that's one of the things that I'm most interested in. What I really love about this period is, is this is the time in which you watch all of those people who got sucked into the Empire, who just went along with the flow. You know, that as the, a Republic became an Empire... It's almost as if like they never skipped a beat. To me, that's really fascinating stuff. And it's one of the things that I love about the, the prequel trilogy in general is the deep themes that George was mining and political themes. And as I watch the world in which we live today, it becomes more and more relevant. So getting in this time period and understanding these characters' motivations and how, like you said, they just went from republic to empire to me is fascinating and what's the rationale for being okay with that you know uh why were you okay with that why weren't more people immediately kind of a, a part of a rebellion and and so i think it's just really fascinating and i'm really excited to be getting this book to see how these two different guys end up on two different sides and one's being forced to do something he probably doesn't want to do like you know um, the whole idea of what they said, like Oppenheimer creating the 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 bomb and uh, thinking you're maybe doing it for good, and turns out that you've created, you know, have become the destroyer of worlds, right? Legitimately, yeah. And we're <laughs> we're seeing this theme is pretty common right now in Star Wars literature. With Lost Stars, had a lot of the same themes, where you have people that aren't really realizing that they're kind of <laughs> part of the bad guys. Uh, they're just doing their job, you know. They're officers and pilots, and don't necessarily realize the evils that are going on. And it does seem like they're maybe turning a blind eye to stuff because I mean, it's more obvious to us as readers, I guess, that the Empire is evil. But people that are actually in the Empire, there were there were well-intentioned people that were part of it, and even the the servants of the Empire, uh, junior novels, also kind of played on those themes. So it's uh, it's definitely interesting. And yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I'm definitely excited for this one. And apparently it's like required reading before seeing Rogue One uh, is what I keep hearing. So I'm excited to uh, 
to pick it up and kind of get that backstory. And I think that's a really cool thing to hear, like required reading, because to me, you know, anytime you do one of these novels, you know, we want to feel like that we are rewarded for reading them or the comics in that that way, too. And so that's the thing about tie in is how much do you give away in a novel as opposed to like a movie or TV show? And that's a really difficult part. So I'm I'm glad to hear them saying, no, this really you you'll do yourself a favor if you read this book. To me, that's great. I mean, that's exactly what I want to hear from, uh, you know, the Star Wars books. And I'm glad it's coming out before the movie because I know like the Thrawn novel doesn't come out until like I think April or something. Right. Yeah. And it's supposed to be a prequel to his appearance in Rebels, but we've already seen him in Rebels. So, you know, I feel like that was, you know, that would have been nice if that had even come out before. Uh, But we didn't really get a lot of Force Awakens tie-in material until the release date of the movie. So this will be nice to actually have the opportunity to read it before you go see the movie so you can actually get that payoff. Exactly. Well, and, and I would have loved to have seen before The Awakening the, you know, young adult novel, the, the junior grade novel, come out before the film because nothing I felt like really got ruined in there except for adding in a lot of really important uh, world building material for Finn, for Poe, for the where the Republic is at that point, and a little bit about Rey and explaining her character, uh, not in a way that gives anything away, but just giving us a taste of you know how she knew some of the things that she knew how to do in the film and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think um, if you do it right, it's only a benefit to the film, you know. Uh, and I, I'm glad to hear that it sounds like Catalyst is, is very much that this book is meant to give you a good setup for what you're going to get next. And you're going to feel grateful that you actually read it. So we've talked some Life Debt. We've talked some Ahsoka. We've talked some Catalyst. Um, but the reason why we're here today is actually to review a comic volume. And we're going to be doing that now. So it's Star Wars Volume 2 showdown on the smuggler's moon and um this is writer jason aaron artist simone bianchi and Stuart emonen sorry if i mispronounced your names release date uh january 26 2016 and obviously publisher marvel comics um and with our spoiler policy we are definitely beyond the one month uh deadline so we can spoil this one to death and we will so as we talk about this, Matt, definitely feel free to, you know, talk all spoilers. Um, everyone's had plenty of time to read this one. So yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been it's been a little bit. So um, let me I'm just going to read kind of the, the story summary here and then we can jump right into it. Uh, Luke continues his quest to learn about the Jedi by heading for the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. But when his lightsaber is stolen, he soon finds himself entrapped and imprisoned. Will his friends come to his aid before he's forced to enter the arena of death? Meanwhile, Han and Leia are confronted by an unexpected foe. The Imperials are closing in on them, and they and they were set on the Rebels' trail by a mysterious woman from Han's past, one with a very personal grudge. As Chewbacca is unleashed, Han finds himself dealing with a ball and chain? You've got to read it to believe it. Plus, injustice reigns on Tatooine as villainous scum run rampant. 
Will Ben Kenobi risk revealing himself to do what's right? It's a special tale from Obi-Wan's past, and this collects Star Wars number 7 through 12. you got to love the way that Marvel does their their little... Uh, I don't even know what you would call that. It's not a summary. It's almost like a marketing spiel. But yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very... Uh, it's a little bit cheesy. It, it reminds me of what uh, they should do for Rebels uh, Season 3 on the back of the DVD and Blu-ray. You know, say something like, and Maul travels down a visionary path. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they did say, uh, as Chewbacca is unleashed, and it, all, all I thought of when they said that was the Chewbacca force, or the uh, the unleashed figures they used to do, yes, and Chewbacca that, that, with the... Yeah, so I have a bunch of those figures because they were so fantastic. Um, you know, they were a lot cheaper than buying, you know, the sideshow statues or whatnot. But they were great figures. I have a ton of them. Uh, I don't have the Chewy one, but he was awesome. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. So this is um, volume two of the ongoing Star Wars series, and um, this is the first one that actually has one of the Kenobi stories, right? Uh, issue seven. I believe is, it is, is yeah. the first yeah. that we get. Uh, so the, the the comic volume, the collected volume, actually starts with that. So you get the whole Kenobi story, which is not really connected to the rest of the story, but kind of because the whole book that that Luke finds um, in you know Ken, in Kenobi's, I think it was in Kenobi's house, right? That he found that book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he uh, has the showdown with Boba Fett there. Yes, yes. So. So we got that first, which is really cool. I really liked that story. It, it there wasn't a lot to it. Basically, you know, there's this group of thugs that are going around working for jo- Jabba and uh, stealing water from people. Oh, Jabba! Yeah, <laughs> and um, yeah, that's pretty much all the story is. It's a it's a pretty quick story, um, but we do one thing that is very interesting and and pretty cool is that we got an appearance of a uh, young Luke. No, I, I liked that that Luke, you know, um, is been tracking these scoundrels uh, who are working for Jabba and who have been stealing water. Uh, Tatooine, you you wouldn't think of it, but it's actually in the middle of a drought, so all the moisture farmers are having an awful time. You say you them collecting water. So <laughs> you say you wouldn't think that it would. Is that? No, you wouldn't think there'd be a drought in Tatooine. You'd think it'd just be normal. That, uh, right. But, yeah. like, what is a drought on a planet that already is basically like a perpetual drought? So what to them exactly. is a drought? But apparently it can happen. It can happen. So And it does. And uh, I, what I loved about this story, though, and I think that, you know, one of the things that John Jackson Miller's book, Kenobi, did touch on was Kenobi trying to learn how to not be a Jedi. And how difficult it is that your entire life has been one thing and now your entire life is completely and utterly different that you just have to sit back and let things happen because your job is not to be an actor anymore. Your job is to be a watcher. Do you think that Kenobi failed? Um, I love Obi-Wan Kenobi. He's, he, he's one of my favorite Star Wars characters um, if not my favorite, especially from the prequels, he's definitely my favorite in the prequel movies. Um, but he's definitely got some flaws and he, you know, he's done some things that maybe pushed people down the wrong path or, you know, he, I feel like in, in Vader, in the, in the Darth Vader comics that we recently reviewed, uh, Vader calls out Kenobi as failing because the boy hasn't been trained. 
you know, he realizes, Vader realizes that Luke has not been trained, and he, I forget the, the exact line from the comic, but Vader basically just says, Kenobi, you failed. You know, why hasn't this boy been trained? And Kenobi has, in this comic, he, he does give an excuse. His excuse is that Owen won't let him, you know, they won't, he won't let him train the boy. But, I mean, this boy is the hope of the galaxy. Are you really letting uh, Owen Lars stand in your way? <laughs> well, I think I think that and Obi-Wan Kenobi is my favorite character uh, from all of Star Wars. And so, but I think if I put my mind in Kenobi's mind and I try to think like he's thinking, if you begin to train Luke Skywalker and he's as strong as you think he is, as Luke grows in the Force as a young child, that force presence is going to grow on Tatooine and that's not going to go unnoticed, no matter how far in the outer rim it is. And so I I honestly think that Obi-Wan doesn't fail because if Luke had been trained, he probably would have been found earlier. And I think that that would have caused problems because, you know, when you think about it, the older Obi-Wan gets, the less likely he is to be able to protect Luke. And the way things end up playing out uh, is honestly the best for everyone involved. Uh, and, and, and I think, you know, when you start to add things in like this, it's, it's very difficult because you can kind of start to put some things in that might not be what, George was thinking or or kind of completely flow or jive with the story. But this is one of those instances where I really feel like uh, Kenobi did what he was supposed to do. And that was just to make sure that Luke grew up and he was safe and uh, that the force would guide them when the time was right. And I think that's the real thing is that Obi-Wan and Yoda both sit back and wait for the timing of the force and not their own timing. Because uh, they kind of tried to, they definitely tried to force it with Anakin. And uh, they don't want to do that again with Luke. Mm. And so uh, that that would be my defense of, of Kenobi <laughs> and why he, you know, should, I think he did the right thing. So I, th- yeah, I, it's interesting. I just, I, I know everything worked out, you know, everything worked out. The Empire does end up getting defeated, but a lot of stuff happens in between. You know, a lot of people died. A lot of, you know, Alderaan was destroyed. Um, you know, a lot of other planets had to suffer through an empire waiting for Luke to kind of grow up. And um, even when he is finally, you know, fully grown and then Obi-Wan reveals himself to him and kind of like, hey, you know, your dad's a Jedi, you know, and you're 19 now. So let me just throw you at this Death Star and see what happens. You know, it kind of, it seems a bit haphazard. It seems, I, I get the whole idea of, you know, kind of just waiting on the Force or the timing of the Force. That's all very spiritual, but uh, when you're looking at it from a practical perspective, it, it does seem like there maybe have been a, a bit of a missed opportunity to prepare Luke a little better than he was for for what he was facing. As much as Obi-Wan had learned, he had to learn something different to complete his mission, and that was to be in the shadows, to not be the flashy Jedi. And when he does something when he uses the force uh, to protect Luke in this comic, it's in the shadows. Nobody sees it. Nobody knows who it is. 
Uh, you know, he has to be very careful with what he does and how he uses his power uh, to protect Luke. But that's his job is to protect Luke. And that's what he does in this story. And I think that's a really interesting thing to watch a character who is a hero of the Clone Wars, you know, and he, he talks about that. And now he's just bored to death. He's maybe going out of his mind because <laughs> he's so bored. But the the strength that takes to do the job that he's been given. And uh, I think it's it's it is pretty fascinating. Uh, and so I really like this this start. And I'm really glad we're getting these little nuggets of these Kenobi comics throughout this this uh, Star Wars run. And they've done a couple more, and I've really, really enjoyed them so far. So they, I hope they keep doing them. Um, I hope it's not in detriment to us getting a Kenobi film. But, um, yeah, it's good stuff here. So I re- it, it, it's a small plot. But I think what it does for the characters is pretty cool. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a cool little comic, um, and I think we can jump into the actual you know the story with the uh, the rest of the characters. So it it goes from you know Luke's got this book and he's trying to find out more information that he you know he can find. You know he wants to to find the Jedi Temple. Uh, or a Jedi temple, so he can kind of learn as much as he can about the Jedi. Uh, so that's a big part of the story. Um, but where the last comic left off was we were left with Han and Leia and Sana on this unnamed world where um, Sana has revealed herself as as uh, Sana Solo, you know, someone who claims to be the wife of Han Solo. So it's a, a pretty interesting... Uh, you know, thing I know when that first happened, there was big news all over the place. You know, even the big, you know, websites were all covering it. Oh my goodness, Han Han had a wife, but I think we kind of all knew that there was more to the story, and we get we get the we get we get to find out what the true story is in this comic. Happened twice this year with Marvel. Han Solo was married, and Captain America's a Nazi. Ugh. And it, they didn't learn that it just doesn't work because we're not going to believe that storyline or either of those. Like, I was never going to believe that Han Solo had been married for real. Yeah. Just like I was never going to believe that Captain America was actually a Hydra agent all of that time. I thought the comic did a really good job of every time he tried to explain himself, he got cut off. It was like every single time he's like, oh, she's not my, and then it would cut her off. It, we, we're not really, ma-, and then he'd get cut off, you know, some whatever would be happening. I thought it was pretty funny, uh, probably very frustrating for the character as he's trying to explain himself. Because I think at this point, you know, we're still pretty early on. This is just post A New Hope. We're not past Empire yet, which is really Empire's kind of where their, you know, their love really blossoms. But they're in the early phases of a relationship at this point. Not the time you want some other girl to come in and claim that she's your wife. You know, he's he's still trying to impress Leia. They're 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 probably you know, feeling out the, the possibilities of a relationship. And this comes in and throws a, a monkey wrench in the whole thing for him. And Leia seems to, she, she turns on him pretty quick, even to a point of holding a gun to him. Yeah. I, I think she's kind of pissed at him, honestly. You know, I, I think that's the thing that uh, when I watch the films now, you know, you can see, Especially in Empire Strikes Back, there is the connection between them. 
and she's fighting that feeling. Uh, you know, she hadn't heard from Mario Speedwagon that she shouldn't fight that feeling anymore. Uh, but this, you can really tell she's, she's doing everything she can to deny that there's anything about Han that's different than Luke, basically. Other than the fact that she doesn't know he's his brother yet. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think that's really what you're seeing. And so her pulling the gun on Han is almost like an unleashing of that anger that she has inside herself that she cares anything for Han beyond the fact that he's joined the rebellion, you know, like it, and it, it's a way of her, <laughs> um, almost being able to, to try and prove to herself and to Han, I don't really like you. Yeah. It did seem like there was a, a, a true level of untrust though. There, you know, she oh, yeah. she doesn't know Han that well at this point. Um, I mean, she knows that he helped the the rebellion immensely in the destruction of the Death Star and coming to kind of save the day with Luke at the end. Um, you know, so he's done his part and I think probably proven himself to her. But then suddenly you have this, you know, where this woman's coming in claiming to be his wife, you know, kind of reminding Leia that, you know, he is kind of, he's a criminal, he's a smuggler, he's a con artist, he's, you know... And this might be just some elaborate scam he's pulling on Leia, you know, to to gain, you know, some advantage. And at this point, I think she really, truly is questioning her trust in him. Um, I don't I don't think that was a ruse, you know, or and I do agree with you that there was some emotion there with anger and stuff like that. But I do truly think she she just didn't trust him and uh, felt like she needed to kind of keep her eye on him at this point, which was very frustrating for him. Um, well, and I think you're absolutely right. Uh Sana does a great job here. Yeah, she does. Um, she keeps stoking the fire, which exactly, yeah, exactly. And 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 when she starts to mention the way in which her and Han allegedly got married, that it was just basically a law and con. I think that reminds Leia that oh yeah, you're right. You're saying I I don't know Han, and this could all be just a really elaborate con. I mean, I don't really know what you think you're gonna con the rebellion out of because it's not like they have a lot well they were gonna give they were gonna give him money after yeah. what he did with and he, you know i think and i do think they have money because it seems like they they're constantly offering people money you know even in this when uh they, yeah they have to have a credit stream somewhere yeah. i mean are, are they selling like a fake ipod connector somewhere or something like <laughs> i have no idea where they're i mean the there's enough planets you know that are probably part of the rebellion at this point that you know, there must be some some oil rich planet or something or whatever they use for fuel that they're they're able to get money from. But um, yeah, it does seem because even with with Sana, Leia offers her money too. She's just like, yeah, oh, we'll just pay you. You know, just you know, help us. We'll pay you. Yeah, apparently, they have an unlimited. I mean, they maybe those forest trees grow credits. Money grows on trees, forest trees. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Probably. Um, so <laughs> one of the more interesting characters, I f- feel like maybe interesting looking characters that has been introduced into the canon. Um, and you can always thank the comics for these kind of things. Cause, uh, it's, you can't pull off a character like this in any other medium, but we got, well, I know you love the Mon Calamari Grievous. So, I mean, right. who didn't, <laughs> but we get, uh, we get Gracchus the Hutt, who is the, yes. <laughs> he's done. He's not only done P90X one. I think he's done uh, P90X two and three. 
Well, not only that, but he is rich enough as a hut to not even have to slither anymore. He has robotic legs to be able to walk on. So, yeah, this guy is a ripped hut. Yeah, just picture that. Uh, you and, don't have to picture uh, it. It's wearing, in the comic. You can see yeah, it. Yeah, and, and he is wearing lightsabers yes. as a necklace, yes. which that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, when, when the character first popped up, when I flipped the page... When I say that it's not true, I you know swiped on my digital device when I you know digitally flipped the page and see this character pop up. My first instinct was what like what in the world is this guy? This is ridiculous. But as the comic went on, I actually thought he was pretty cool. He he looked pretty cool. The role that he played was was very interesting. So I actually did like the character. He, it brought back memories of um, the novel. What was it called? Planet of Twilight, I think, where Leia faces off against Beldorian the Hut or Beldorian the Splendid. He was known as, and, oh jeez, and he um actually, I'm I'm guessing you haven't read this based on your reaction. I haven't read this one. Uh, it was by an author that I didn't trust back in the Bantam days. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, it, back back in the day when I first read this book. I had no problems with it. You know, I was pretty new to, you know, kind of reading through the Star Wars books and I was just loving everything I was reading. So, but Beldorian the Splendid was one that really stuck out to me because they described him as a a hut that was very muscular, um, formidable opponent. He actually was a, a former Jedi uh, during the Clone Wars and had kind of escaped off to this planet and used the fact that he could use the Force as a way to gain power um, and, you know, ultimately turned bad. But Leia actually faced off with him and um, in a lightsaber duel, of all things. And there is art of this. I'll have to Google it and show you. There is actually official art of this confrontation. But, oh, my. Yeah, so I, th- as soon as I see this you know, super muscular hut pop into a, a Marvel comic, which is canon, um, it, it made me quickly remember Beldorian the Splendid. He has been resurrected. There are plenty of things that I, I turn the page in a Marvel comic and I got, I think to myself, oh, dang it, this is canon. <laughs> Honestly, that, it happens a lot. But I am right there with you that I think Gracchus the Hutt was really fascinating because what they what he does in the story, you know, um, we're on Nar the smuggler's moon, and Luke is looking for transport to get to Coruscant. He wants to go to the Jedi temple. He doesn't realize the Jedi temple doesn't exist anymore. And now it's just the Imperial palace and he's captured by Gracchus who wants him because, well, Luke got in a bar fight with his lightsaber and got the lightsaber stolen. And, uh, the, the guy on the lookout for people of this kind of power works for Gracchus and, um, turns out the Gracchus is a, a secret lover. Well, not so secret lover of the Jedi in all things Jedi and is an antiquities collector. Uh, and so what he collects is the things that we collect actually, <laughs> which is Jedi relics. <laughs> <laughs> I have one in my house. I've got a lightsaber in my house. So I thought that was fascinating and having all of this Jedi stuff in one place, I thought was one of the coolest additions to this part of star Wars. And it made sense. This with weapon of the Jedi having Luke look for ways to be able to learn things about the Jedi because Ben's gone. He doesn't have Yoda yet. 
And filling in those pieces, I think, about how he would have any chance against Darth Vader whatsoever in Cloud City, uh, I think this, as well as, you know, Weapon of the Jedi, do a great job of that. And this Jedi collection, I'm honestly hoping, Aaron, that somehow this kind of stuff would maybe come back into play episode eight, you know, that Luke was able to finally get his hands on some of these relics and study, because I, I feel like he would want to after they defeated the empire. Yeah. I thought that, but at the end of the comic, I fully expected them to destroy that whole room. Uh, it felt like there was too much knowledge there. We know Luke doesn't get his hands on any of this kind of knowledge, you know, in the original trilogy. So in my mind, it had to be destroyed. Um, but the way they ended it with Vader showing up and kind of, you know, he's got a holocron in his hand. He's standing, you know, amidst all this stuff, then I thought, you know what, that even makes even more sense because they probably just confiscated it all. The Empire confiscated it all, threw it in some, you know, whatever vault somewhere because they don't want Luke or any other Jedi to have access to it. Um, so the Emperor now has more stuff. You know, he's he seems to be, he took over the, the Jedi Temple and, and made it his, you know, his his seat of power. So... I think it only makes sense that they would have the the empire would confiscate this stuff and keep it out of the reach of Luke as opposed to destroying it. Well, and and I feel like you know, I, I think it's one of the Stackpole novels uh in the Legends line when they're liberating Coruscant and Cornhorns in you know, the I guess the Emperor's lair and I think it's the old Jedi temple and he's, you know, got all of this jedi stuff around him that it's it's basically like a monument for palpatine to his greatness that he defeated the jedi you know he keeps all this stuff around one because he doesn't want anybody else learning from it but two it, it's his way of like almost gloating to himself uh, i've defeated them and uh, i definitely see that here and i loved that at spoiler alert <laughs> that at the very end yeah it's vader who shows up and he you know has has planted somebody here because he knew that there was a lot of uh, Jedi relics with Gracchus, and most likely anybody who was a Jedi would probably come searching for it sometime. And uh, at this point, he's definitely looking for Luke as well, and knows that he's force sensitive, so he's kind of set this trap basically. And I, I thought that was really fascinating stuff. Yeah, we didn't really mention. I don't think what planet we're on here, but Narshada which is the Smuggler's Moon, uh, which is a, a name that's come up a lot in Star Wars, way before the legend, or way before they retired legends and started with the new canon, but this is just a name, a planet name or a moon name that we've known for a long time. I'm glad that they're kind of going back to that. They're keeping the idea of the Smuggler's Moon, you know, the worst of the worst kind of live here. And it seems like this hut, Gracchus is the one, at least has some amount of power, um, if not the most powerful force on this moon, um, so it was kind of cool to see that planet again. He he has this awesome Jedi collection, but he also collects other things because he's got Magna Guards, which is something from the prequels. Um, and I think one thing, as much as there, there are people that criticize the prequels and some people wish the prequels didn't exist, the one thing you have to appreciate about the prequels is they introduced a lot of cool like design, droid designs, ship designs, concepts that keep popping up all over Star Wars canon. Um, and the Magna Guards kind of popping up here, I thought was really cool. 
they were used well and it made sense that this hut who is a collector of old things would also have some of these these things that are you know from before well and it makes sense that you would want you're collecting and hoarding jedi relics uh, you literally wear a necklace of lightsabers. Uh, I, I think that anybody that you would be stealing those from, you would want guards guarding you that could guard against lightsaber attacks. And so it made so much sense, like you said, to have these magna guards there. And I, I'm completely with you. You know, the the beauty of the prequels was... and. and just one of them was the fact that there is a massive amount of opportunity to play with all the toys that were created in that toy box. Yeah. And one of the other things that um, he had collected with the Jedi stuff is the holocrons. Holocrons keep, that's another thing that keeps popping up. And I know, I believe holocron, the idea of the, the Jedi holocrons was born out of the, the EU, the legend stuff, but it's really been adopted into Canon. And, um, this, you know, it's a huge focus of Star Wars Rebels right now with the holocron, and now we're seeing it pop up here in the comic. And um, it was interesting to see that you have these Jedi holocrons that can only, you know, apparently only be opened by a lightsider. And Luke comes in here, doesn't necessarily think he's going to be able to open them, and he doesn't just open one; he opens them all, which was pretty impressive. Um, you know, he's got these latent powers that he doesn't even know he has. I think. And someone like um, someone like an Ezra, as powerful as he is, you know, it would seem like it was quite an effort just to have him open one holocron. But have Luke basically accidentally open numerous holocrons all at once, I thought was pretty impressive. And we got to see some pretty cool Jedi, I think, Opa, Opa Rancisis, um, unless there's a lot of those snake-looking Jedi. I think that was him that popped up in one of them. And then the other one looked like Terra Sinube from, from yeah. the Clone Wars. Yeah. I don't no, think, I think either right has on. been confirmed that it's those characters. You know, there's nobody that's out there saying, yeah, that's them. But they sure do look like them. I, that's who I thought they were. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Shakti is there as well. And I thought, to me, it was fascinating to, to be able to see those characters show up. Uh, to look in, in each one of the little thought bubbles above those holocrons and what they were saying through that their holocron and what it was for. and To me, that was just utterly fascinating. And, and that's where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I really want to see some of this stuff come up somewhere along the way. Somehow with Luke post-Return of the Jedi, I really want to see him digging into the lore of the Force and learning about the old Jedi and maybe what, they did wrong uh, and uh, where he can learn and grow and all of those kind of things I just think would be really fascinating to see. And uh, so that's what I loved about this, this whole comic series here with Gracchus the Hutt and collecting all of these uh, Jedi relics. It's just that it opened up a great door because they weren't destroyed like you were talking about that they can be used and, and seen later on. And I really hope we do because uh, this is stuff that, you know, as, as a person who loves the Jedi in Star Wars, it's my favorite part of Star Wars and the lore of the Jedi and everything. And especially when we think about Luke post Return of the Jedi, that's the stuff I'm really interested to see. And so um, I, I really do hope that this stuff will come into play somehow. 
So another thing we get is uh, a team-up, Chewbacca and C-3PO, not a typical team-up that we see too often. But um, I f- I'm forgetting why Chewbacca wasn't with Han at this point. I guess they had gotten separated at some point, why Han went off with Leia without Chewbacca. But we do get kind of a reuniting of the team um, in this comic. But it was interesting to see Chewbacca and C-3PO being tasked to go help Luke um, by Mon Mothma, of all people, um, had gotten the information that Luke was in trouble and sent them. I I liked that uh, Chewbacca and C-3PO were teamed up, though. It's a really yes. <laughs> funny, you know, you have C-3PO, that's all he cares about is being polite. You know, he's just, he's worried about his own safety. And Chewbacca is the opposite. You know, he is not polite. He is going to do whatever it takes to get the information he needs. And I would even say he was a little bit more vicious than I expected Chewbacca to be. I know in the movies we've always seen him almost as this like this big teddy bear in a, in a way. He hasn't really um, lashed out too often uh, in the films, at least. And so to see him literally hold a guy over the edge of a building and then drop him um, was was interesting to see that side of Chewbacca. I completely agree. I actually really loved it. You know, uh, there was the tease that we were going to get uh, that deleted scene from The Force Awakens, you know, where Chewie's going to rip Unkar Plot's arms off. We don't really see that, unfortunately. But, um, you know, we we hear about what Chewie can do and what Wookiees can do. I always kind of wish we had seen more of it, especially even in the uh, the small bit we get in Episode 3 with the Wookiees in the battle in Kashyyyk, uh, almost in the way where, and Lord of the Rings where the Ents in the background, uh, were legitimately and literally pulling orcs heads off and stuff like that. So you'd, you'd have to pause in the background. That's kind of what I wanted with the Wookiees, you know, like if you just paused at the right place in the background, you would see a Wookiee pulling somebody's arms out, that kind of stuff. Uh, I loved it though. I, I, I liked seeing Chewie just like in a lot of ways, the family dog, Somebody comes at somebody in the family, and they immediately are pouncing. You know, uh, th- that's Chewbacca. You know, here he is on the on the lookout for his friend Luke, and he doesn't care who gets in his way. And I just love that about Chewie that he's already so protective of somebody like Luke. Uh, you know, they haven't known each other that long, but apparently, it doesn't take all that long for Wookies to feel like uh, you're part of the family. So. I, I thought that was great. And, and like you said, with C-3PO uh, doing the translating for him was just fantastic. I mean, that's C-3PO when you're using him at his best. Yes. Yeah, when he's in a situation that is completely out of his element and he still tries to maintain the protocol, the the protocol droid side of him, he's trying to maintain it, he's trying to be polite. And it, yeah, it was, it was a nice contrast with Chewbacca. And Dengar shows up, which... I have a newfound appreciation for Dengar because I've been watching the Freemaker Adventures, and he's very yes, he's very yes. much a part of that show. Um, and so when I see him show up in a canon, um, you know, a, a canon comic, it was cool to see. Now he is much more. I feel like in the Freemaker Adventures, although a bad guy, um, he's much more comedic. But in this, he was just gritty, mean. Um, you know, he. He was taking it to Chewbacca to the point of like stabbing Chewbacca and wa- basically wanting to kill Chewbacca 
uh, until he got the information he needed. And um, he seemed pretty formidable too. I know I've always kind of thought as Dengar is like a lower end of the bounty hunters and almost kind of uh, the butt of the jokes. But in this in this one, he actually uh, he had Chewbacca in a pretty bad spot. I agree with you. I really liked the fact that the fight was pretty even between them. Dengar had the right tools he needed for the most part to be able to take on a Wookiee like Chewbacca. Uh, I the, the other the interesting thing is I didn't notice. Chewie carrying around his bowcaster uh, with him. So, I mean, he was pretty much just going at, with fisticuffs, which, you know, for most wikis is enough. But when you come up uh, against a bounty hunter like Dengar, yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed that. And it's a little bit cheesy, but the fact that Han comes in and with Leia saves the day. Uh, that was you know, awesome. And saves his friend. See, I, I'm all, I have my cheese radar is, is stronger than many people's. You know, I'm always, you know, I just, cheesy stuff kind of gets on my nerves from time to time but i thought that was actually really well done the way dengar was like where's han and then han's yeah. just standing there on the falcon i'm right here kind of thing like saving his friend you know that's you can almost imagine han being like you didn't think i was gonna run did you <laughs> but yeah i thought that was one of the best moments in the comic actually although cheesy sometimes cheese is good uh, especially when it's like a uh, friendship like this with yeah. these two. No, I you want to see them I rescuing agree. each other. You want to see uh, Chewbacca is not going to give up Han ever. You know, he's never going to tell a bounty hunter where Han's at. And Han's always going to be there to save Chewbacca. You know, they're they're always there for each other. And it's sad to say, now that I'm thinking of episode seven, I feel really sad about what I just said there. But uh, as far as Han always being there for Chewbacca, I guess maybe not always. But to the end, they were together, you know. Uh, but yeah, so I liked seeing that. I liked the inclusion of Dengar. And it's interesting because Dengar, the way that they dispatch of him in this, very much looks like he did not survive. You know, but we know he does. He has to because he's in Empire Strikes Back. But the way that Chewbacca threw him off the edge, you know, with the thermal detonator, and the thermal detonator blows up at, right next to him as he's falling. Not only did he get blown up, but he fell. You know, that's two ways to kill someone. Maybe that's why his face looks even worse in, in episode five. Well, I was thinking that. <laughs> it's even more covered up. <laughs> I was thinking that because they did show a couple close-ups of his face in the comic, and his face already looks pretty bad. Because I thought, oh, that'd be a perfect explanation as to why he was so messed up in episode five. But he kind of already seems like he's there. Um, but yeah, we know he's coming back. He's He's got even more reason to hate Han and Chewie now. Another reason not to do death sticks, Aaron. Your face ends up looking like Dengar's. Maybe, maybe. Just say no to death sticks. (laughs) But um, another interesting part of this, another character that was introduced to us was the Game Master, which um, I was a little disappointed because I like the idea of Luke being forced into this gladiatorial combat. And I actually really like the idea of him maybe being there for a while. You know, instead of it being this really quick, he had one battle and done, I was really thinking, this would be kind of cool. Maybe he gets stuck here for a few weeks. This guy's training him. Might explain a little bit why he's better in his lightsaber battle with Vader, you know, in episode five, because, you know, he he actually had some training, some hands-on training from somebody. Um, So I kind of wanted that to maybe last a little longer, but it it ended pretty quick. And even with the Game Master kind of telling Gracchus, like, yeah, he's ready, I was like, 
did you only had one training session with him, you know, like unless there was some things that happened off screen. Yeah, on the other side of the page, that the you're... other other side that you just didn't see, they were they were training. Um, no, I'm I'm right there with you. It, it was a fascinating character, and I'm. I was kind of th- thinking the same thing because I, I remember reading the the comic issue by issue when it was coming out, and I was thought, oh, this might be interesting if they do basically a gladiator thing. You know, uh, obviously Luke isn't Maximus at this point; he doesn't know how to fight, so it'd be fascinating to actually have him be here, like you said, for a while have to learn some stuff and, you know, learn from somebody who knows what they're doing. And, and we know from, you know, the Force Awakens time period that stormtroopers of that time do train with the melee weapons. So they're familiar with them. Uh, it, so it would make sense, you know, it turns out that the Game Master is actually a stormtrooper. From the 501st. Yeah, which I thought was working with Vader. So... Uh, I, I think that's really, really great stuff. And it is kind of interesting that the Game Master is responsible for teaching Luke some things that will help him later on against Vader. And it's funny because Vader has this bad habit of creating plans to which come back to bite him in the butt later. Uh, he does it in the Onderon arc because it's his idea to create the Rebellion on Duron, and that's going to come back to bite him in the butt. Uh, and uh, this one does too, because the Game Master ends up teaching Luke some things that will help him later on in his fights against Vader. So it is very funny that for all of Vader's machinations and plans, they have a way of coming back in ways that he just does not expect. So I think that's actually pretty funny. Huh. Yeah, I, it was interesting with the introduction of the Game Master, because he's, he's got a very unique look to him. Um, with the red, you know, kind of the red skin, like, yes, you, like yes. you see with uh, Maul. And then he had a hood that was kind of covering his face. And so I I wondered if it was maybe going to be a little bit more of a mystery as to who he was. Um, I even wondered if they were kind of trying to tease the idea of like a maybe a former Sith or like a Inquisitor type character that maybe, uh, you know, had survived and is now kind of working at this you know, this arena training people. Um, I thought that would have been interesting, but I, I do like the, the, the idea that he was just an undercover agent for the, for the empire, but he does have a very unique look to him. And, um, I haven't read beyond this volume in the star Wars comics, but I'm hoping for a, a reappearance of this guy. No, I, I agree with you. I really like the character and I think he's fantastic, but really, um, I, I, I can't believe Aaron that you haven't mentioned this already. But nothing compared to the Gungan. Oh, the Gungan, yes. Story. I, I think we need to talk about this Gungan. That Gungan, uh, though. Yeah, there was a Gungan, uh, which actually I, I enjoyed. I, as soon as I started reading the dialogue, they just nailed it. The, yeah. the writer really nailed the way that Gungans talk. And I know that's, you know, sometimes people write for Yoda or they write for a, a Gungan and there's a certain way they talk that you can either you either nail it or you don't, and this this uh, this guy really did nail the way this Gungan talked. I thought it was uh, it was interesting, an interesting inclusion. I don't know what happened to Jar Jar Binks? To Jar Jar Binks? Yeah, <laughs> that's what happened. I mean, he becomes a pirate, basically. I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> him and Paolo. Um, there you go. 
I th- I mean, is that their term for like their friend, yeah. Musa Palo? Yeah. When I first read it, I thought he was saying his name was Palo. Yes, yes. And I was like, wait, wasn't wasn't uh, Padme's old boyfriend named Palo? Like, we never knew if he was human or not. He maybe her old boyfriend was a Gungan. Um, but then, yeah, you're right. I, I upon a reread, I was like, oh, he's just saying his Palo, like his friend, uh, and he's using the term Palo. But yeah, I thought that was funny considering. You know, Gungans are from Naboo, so. <laughs> oh, man. No, it was it was very funny to have that show up. And that's one of those things, I think, that when we were talking about earlier where you just pull things in from the prequels and you give it a, a nice twist. Like, the, the comics have done a pretty good job of doing that, uh, whereas there are certain things that kind of give me, and I will say, legitimate WTF moments. Like, when I turn the page and I'm like, what? Really? this is canon now? Like, that's just something that kind of makes me laugh out loud and it's like, that's what happened to Gungans. Uh, so, you know, like, that's that's the stuff that I enjoy just as a fan when you do fun things like that. Well, speaking of moments where you turn the page and you're like, wait, that's canon? Um, we have the, the idea of R2-D2 stealing all these lightsabers mm-hmm. and then... Um, showing up and kind of shooting them all out into the air from his different compartments. I mean, I, it makes sense that R2-D2 would have like one compartment that could shoot a lightsaber out to, to Luke and Return of the Jedi, but the fact that he actually has four compartments in his dome, it seems like they really that was a, some really good coincidence. Uh, whoever made that droid decided to have lightsaber ejectors built in. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. Um, I am not the biggest fan of non-Jedi using lightsabers. Yeah, I'm with you. And that's, I always, I remember seeing this image because we had talked about this comic's been out since uh, January. Well, the volume has been out since January. So the actual individual issues have been out even longer. So, you know, this isn't any new news to anybody as far as uh, this, this panel. But, yeah, I remember seeing this image back when this comic first came out of Han, Luke, Leia, and Chewbacca running with lightsabers. And I would, yes. and as soon as I saw it I was like, "No, no, 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 no. You don't like this is like this should be a a cardinal rule of Star Wars that the use of a lightsaber needs to be rare. It needs to be special. Somebody that wields a lightsaber, you know, it's it's important. And they've even especially in the OT. Right. And they've they've even in the the Clone Wars and kind of the idea of of a Jedi being attached to their lightsaber through the, the crystal and the crystal chooses them. And you know, it's, it's a special thing. It's a special weapon. It's not just some sword you find on the ground and pick up and use. And, not as crumbsy or random as a blaster. Right. So I, I initially didn't like the idea. Now the way it played out, I ended up being more okay with it when you kind of see the details of how it all went down, but I still, I would rather they not do a lot of that stuff. I know they're trying to sell comic issues, and if you have an image with all these characters you love and they're all carrying lightsabers, that's going to sell comic issues. Um, but I hope it doesn't become the norm where uh, the use of a lightsaber becomes just the same as picking up any other weapon. I I found that this turned out okay, but really all it left me was with the feeling, so what happened to all these lightsabers? Did they, did they just all drop them? Like, wouldn't you take that with you? You know, like, and... So there was it just actually created a bigger problem for me that all 
three of those main characters are holding lightsabers and they all get away. What happened to all those lightsabers? Does Luke just have a, like three other lightsabers now he can choose from? So when he creates his new one, like uh, That's those true, are yeah. all questions that came up into my mind by giving them those lightsabers. You've created an issue for me uh, that doesn't need to be there. It did make for some cool images. I will say the, the yes, scene. It does. The scene where Assuming Leia... Chewie hold a lightsaber and all I can think of was Lobaka. <laughs> right, it was. It was bringing back memories of Legends material more than anything else for me because in the Legends uh, universe, Leia does become a Jedi. And so she does end up using a lightsaber and fighting with it. So to see a scene with her holding a lightsaber and swinging it and kind of they have a really cool image uh, of that in the comic, that was cool to see. Um, so I'm not... I'm okay with it. It happened in this comic. I'm okay with it being a very isolated incident. Um, and I, I didn't even think about kind of what you were saying as far as what happened to the lightsabers. You know, it doesn't make sense that they would have just dropped them. So it does it does seem like they would still have them. Um, but speaking of still having the lightsaber, I did notice at the end that the Game Master, Sergeant Creel, as he was talking to Vader, was kind of hiding a lightsaber behind his back. Yes, which I yes. thought was kind of cool, which is kind of indicating that that character may may retain that lightsaber and uh, hopefully use it again in the future. No, I was right. I'm right there with you on that. I think that would be fantastic that that would come back into play somewhere. And actually, there there is another character later on. There's another stormtrooper character with a lightsaber uh, down in the Star Wars. That in fact, I just. I think in the last Star Wars issue I read, there was a, so I, it may actually be the same character. Yeah, I think um, I had seen so. some images. I mean, you know, I know this is a little spoilery, but I had seen some images of some comic covers because I do keep up with the covers that are coming out, even though I don't, you know, I'm not caught up on all the comics. So I had seen, um, I think, an image of a stormtrooper using a lightsaber. So I kind of just assumed it was this guy, and I hope it is because, mm -hmm. like I said, I don't want it to be overused, and it wouldn't make sense for there to be multiple stormtroopers using lightsabers yeah, but i'd be okay cool. if there was one uh one guy with the lightsaber that's always been a cool image people in in armor with lightsabers so well and i think it what's so cool about it is it goes right back to those ralph mcquarrie drawings mm -hmm. where yeah. uh the stormtrooper did have a lightsaber and so that made it really fantastic to for them to kind of use that idea and that's that's that really is just a lot of fun uh to see for a longtime fan, you know, I, uh, being a fan for so long, them actually playing with that iconography is fantastic to me. So, yeah, I have no problems with it, um, you know, especially since uh, it's Vader uh, that he's working for. So it makes a lot of sense to me as well that, you know, might have access to some things, uh, you know, and, and Vader is known for being somebody who. Uh, is willing to give people things uh, and, and train them in a way that others might look at as kind of strange. I mean, he was definitely that way, I feel, I feel like, with Rex, for sure. So I, I, I think this just really fits. So I, I, I actually, that was one of those things for him uh, as the Stormtrooper character. I had no issues with him ending up uh, with the lightsaber. I just thought it was actually really sweet. So, um I'm with you. So I, I think on a whole, this is one of my favorite volumes of the Star Wars comic. Yeah, um, I, I was thinking about that as I was reading it. 
that kind of where does it fall for me in the stuff that's been released so far comic-wise. And I've been hit and miss with most of the comics, but this, I, I kind of agree with you. I feel like this one might be my favorite volume that I've read so far across all of the series, in fact. Um, the Vader series has been hit and miss with me, and Kanan, I really liked how it started, but I didn't really like kind of where it went. But this one for mm-hmm. me had so many elements that I mean, you know, I loved the appearance of of like characters like Dangar, or the introduction of the of the hut, and the introduction of the game master, and just the the situations that all these characters were in. Chewbacca, C three PO together, and Luke, you know, in a gladiatorial ring. Like I just thought it was a lot of really good storytelling, all packed into I guess you know six issues. Um, and to top it off, you get a Kenobi story right at the beginning. So I, this was, this hit it out of the park for me. Really? It did. No, I agree with you. I would say that I'll be honest. Uh, the, the star Wars comics have been very hit or miss for me. I think that the, and I, I think we talked about this when we were at dragon con, cause we were on the, the new Canon panel together. And, uh, Comics wise, the best series have been the miniseries, I think, for the most part. The ongoing series have been hit or miss. There'll be some really good stuff. Uh, and the Star Wars comic has been like that. There's been some things I really like, and there's been some things that I'm like, oh, I kind of detest that. This, I think, re- especially rereading it, I really like the way the story goes. Um, and I like all, oh, I like a, the way in which it opens up a lot of storytelling elements for later on in the Star Wars comic and maybe even later on in Star Wars itself down the road. So, yeah, I have to say this is definitely worth picking up. It's a it's a lot of fun. Um, and you get a lot of the characters doing some really cool stuff, you know, um, getting to be their best selves. Uh, you know, I, I think for me, I think uh, the, the background character of like Chewbacca really coming to the forefront uh, and seeing him just be awesome was was great stuff. Yeah, so uh, so it sounds like we both really like this one. Uh, the next one that's kind of next in the timeline for this is Vader Down, which is kind of the combination of both the Vader storyline and the ongoing Star Wars. They come together, and you get Vader Down. Um, so we will be reviewing Vader Down in a future episode. Um, but for now, I think we've we've really we've talked this one to death. I think <laughs> we've covered every yeah, corner we of it. Yeah, and so I don't think we have much more to say, so I think it's a good time to wrap up the episode. So, Matt, uh, before I let you go, uh, do you have anything? Can you tell us a little bit about maybe the shows that you're on, the other podcasts, where people can find you? Sure. Uh, you can find me all over the place. Uh, I am on Twitter at MattRushing02. Um, I'm on a podcast network called Trek FM, and I do a few shows there. I do the main one that I do that pe- people are probably interested in is the 602 Club, which is our general geek show. Um, we do a lot of Star Wars there as well. So uh, if you just want the Star Wars episodes, you can go and search in iTunes for Star Wars, the 602 Club collection, and you can find all of those. So we've reviewed a lot of the books, the films. Uh, we went back and redid the Thrawn trilogy before uh, it's the. Uh, Episode seven came out, uh, you know, going back that way. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, be sure to check that out. So 602 Club and 602 Club Star Wars Collection. And then uh, I also do uh, a show with my good friend John Mills called Aggressive Negotiations. And that's general Star Wars show. 
we just kind of pick a topic each week and talk about it. Um, you know, so it could be anything. Uh, and uh, it's a lot of fun. We, we, we honestly never know where we're going to go. <laughs> and uh, we just have a blast um, kind of diving into the minutiae and the fun things and current topics, old topics, offhand topics. So, yeah, check those out. You can find all of those on iTunes. So uh, I'd, I'd love it for you to check them out. Thanks for having me on, Aaron. Yeah. I really appreciate it. This has been a blast. Yeah, thanks for coming. Um, you're one of those people that we've always kind of wanted to have on and just never quite got there. So it's good that we, we kind of got to reacquaint ourselves at Dragon Con. And uh, we had, like you were saying before, we had kind of known each other over social media but never really met in person. So I'm glad to uh, have you on, and hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Um, for Star Wars Bookworms, uh, for what we have coming up as far as reviews, uh, we we hopefully get Life Debt um, in here soon. Matt's favorite book, um, but uh, Teresa will hopefully be back for us or back with us for that one. Uh, we're also looking to do the Lando comic very soon, so probably our next episode of Star Wars Bookworms will be the Lando comic, which I have a good guest lined up already for that one. So uh, make sure you guys read those and be prepared for upcoming episodes of Star Wars Bookworms. Uh, Twitter, you can find us at. SW Bookworms, email starwarsbookworms at gmail.com, facebook.com slash starwarsbookworms. We are on iTunes, so leave us a review if you haven't done it yet. We love the five star ones. And uh, Teresa, hopefully, will be back with us soon. You can find her on uh, Twitter and Instagram at IceColdPenguin, and I am on Twitter at AVGones. And until next time, keep on reading, and may the Force be with you.